Well, we're back in 2 Peter as we continue with our series, and so let me invite you to grab your copy of God's Word, and let's together open up to 2 Peter. We're in chapter 2, and we'll be working through that passage together. It's interesting how, you know, we as a people um, sometimes like to joke and uh, kid around. You know, if somebody comes to you and begins uh, really sharing what's on their heart and they're, they're passionate about it, you know, and they're, they're telling you about the negative, they're telling you about the positive, they're just going on and on and they're animated and you know that that's a topic that they're really, really into and passionate about. And then we will, after we hear their conversation, we'll say, okay, now tell me how you really feel about that, you know, just as a joke, you know. Well, this morning here, we're going to be looking at Peter's words, and our, the title of this message this morning is, Peter, tell us how you really feel, okay? And of course, our topic is false teachers, and uh, Peter has some choice words, if you will, that he shares regarding false teachers. And so this morning, we get to learn and see what, how Peter really feels about false teachers. So we're in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 22. So follow along. Uh, just a little bit of uh, FYI for you this morning. We're going to be covering lots of Scripture. So hang on. Uh, we'll revisit some of the Scriptures that we are reading together. But uh, anyhow, yeah, we'll be a very, very uh, Scripture-packed message this morning. So we begin in verse 4. And again, the title of the message this morning is, Okay, Peter, how do you really feel? And he's going to tell us here. So we begin in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, and if God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so... Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. And he's talking about these false teachers. He says, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blasphemy in manners they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in, carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, 
who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Peter, tell us how you really feel. So Peter, tell us how you really feel. Let's take a look at how Peter really feels about false teachers, okay? And uh, we're going to, if you follow along in the bulletin, you'll find uh, some fill-in-the-blanks. There's about 15 things that Peter says uh, that really uh, display how he really thinks about false teachers, and we're going to just kind of quickly go through those. And uh, so we begin here, how do you think about their character, Peter? What do you really feel about their character? And then we'll kind of follow that up with, you know, what do you think about their destination, Peter? So we begin here looking at how do you really feel, Peter, about these false teachers? And here's what he thinks about their character. What he thinks about them as individuals. So here he says, number one, uh, he says they, and this is in verse 10, they're bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. So, Peter, what do you, how do you feel about these men? He says they are bold, okay? All right. In other words, they cast off restraint. They don't hold themselves back. And they're arrogant, according to verse 2, and that is being prideful. We see that in verse 10. Number, moving on here. Verse 12, but these men blasphemy in matters they do not understand. They are creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. Well, Peter, how do you really feel? Well, he says, these guys lack sense. That's in verse 12 there. They, they talk about matters they don't understand, so they lack, lack sense. He goes on to say in verse 12, they are brute beasts, and they are creatures of instinct, he says. Creatures of instinct, meaning they have no control. They have no self-discipline. And they're creatures of instinct, brute beasts. Now, um, not all beasts are bad. I mean, we're all animal lovers, right? Uh, whether it be cats or dogs. Of course, we have a dog, and uh, we appreciate our dog. But one of the things, I don't know about you guys, I can't figure this out. Why do dogs like to roll in something that is stinky or rotten? Why do they do this? Okay? I bring that up just to say, you know, Peter says, okay, Peter, tell us how you really feel. He says, false teachers are animals. You know, they, they, they pursue instinct rather than exercise discipline and reason. They roll in stinky stuff, basically. Okay? 
Moving on here to verse 13. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Peter, how do you really feel? He says, well, these false teachers, they have no discretion. They have no discretion. They are blots and they are blemishes. Okay? They are stains on the carpet. We've all had stains on our carpet. We can't get those things out, can we? All right? Or you get the carpet, you get the stain out, and then you got this nice clean spot in the middle of the carpet, right? Okay? But anyhow, that's what happens. He says they're blemishes, they're blots. They have no discretion. With eyes full of adultery, pressing on here to verse 14, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. An accused, I mean, an accursed brood, he says, an accursed brood. Uh, From that, Peter says, how do you feel, Peter? Well, they're adulterers. Um, Basically, they're unfaithful, okay? It can be in the sexual realm, no doubt, but they're unfaithful in other things. They say one thing, and they do another. That's what false teachers do. Say one thing, do another. So they're adulterers. They're unfaithful. They have no self-control. If you look at verse 14 there again, they can't stop sinning, it says. So these false teachers, they lack self-control. Again, Peter's telling us how he really feels about false teachers. Now we press on. We go to verse 17. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Peter says, you know, the, these false teachers, he says, they're springs without water. They're, you know, mist driven by the storm. Now, springs without water, there's nothing more disappointing than when you're really, really thirsty and you have no water, okay? There's nothing more disappointing than that, uh, you know, there's nothing better on a hot day than a, go, a good, cold uh, glass of water. There's nothing better, you know. Or for me, I mean, if it's real, real hot, there's nothing like a good, cold Mountain Dew, okay? okay? That's refreshing. That is good. But what Peter is telling us, and again, he's telling us how he really feels. He says, these, these, these uh, false teachers, you know, they don't have anything refreshing, okay? They are a disappointment. On a hot day when you want a good cold drink, you want something to quench your thirst, they don't have anything. They don't have anything. That's what Peter feels, and that's what he says. So they're springs without water. Pressing on here to verse 18. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in air. Peter says these false teachers, and here's how he really feels. He says they're big talkers. That's all they are. They're big talkers. Paul says they, or Peter says they boast, and uh, they entice. Okay, They're just big talkers. They're not going to practice what they peach, preach. They're not really concerned about you as an individual or as a follower of Jesus Christ. They're just going to fill your ears full of garbage. They're boastful and they're enticing. That is the false teachers. Pressing on here to verse 19. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Well, Peter, how do you really feel? Peter says, well, he says, these false teachers are depraved. 
okay? They are depraved. So let's talk about depravity just for a brief minute. I could give you a definition, but what I want to do is let's go to Romans chapter 1. And Romans chapter 1 gives us a good definition of depravity. It gives us a great picture of what depravity is all about. So Peter says, you know, these false teachers, they're just a depraved group. They're depraved. Well, what, what does he mean by depraved? Or what does depravity mean? Well, looking at Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 28, uh, he says these words. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought to not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. They, they're slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That, that's the Bible's definition of depravity. Okay? We got a good picture, don't we? Peter says, how do you real feel, Peter? Well, these guys, they're, they're de depraved. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're sin, sinful. They're shameful. They're, they're wicked. They're lewd. They're, they're obscene. Okay, Peter, we get the picture, don't we? We get the picture, don't we? So that's what Peter says. Okay, remember the title is, you know, Peter, how do you really feel about false teachers? Well, that brings us to verse 22. We're coming to the end of that segment. And it says, he says of this, Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So basically, Peter says, you know, false teachers are basically dogs who go back to the vomit. False teachers are basically pigs, okay, who go back and wallow in the mud. Okay, Peter, tell us how you really feel about false teachers. I think we get the picture, don't we? He has nothing positive, nothing good to say about false teachers because they are messing with something that is sacred, all right? They're sacred. Now, it's interesting also to say, not only is this how Peter feels, but remember when we were in back in... 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 21, where it talks about, Peter says, you know, these words that we share with you didn't come about by our own imagination. Rather, the words that you have in God's word, they came about as God, you know, directed man to write these words. You remember that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21? So really what we have here is what does God also think about false teachers. So it's not positive. It's not positive. So let's go on. We're finding out how Peter really feels. Well, let's just ask this question. Well, Peter, what about their destination? What's going to happen to these guys? Well, let's find out. Looking at 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, Peter says, in their greed, these teachers exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been hanging over them 
and their destruction has been sleeping. So Peter says, these false teachers, if you want to know, Peter says, here's how I feel. He says, their condemnation is coming. All right? So false teachers are dead men walking. That's what's going to happen. Condemnation is coming. And then he goes on in verse 3, he says, their destruction is certain. Their destruction is certain. Again, these are false teachers that we're talking about. Pressing on to verse 9. Okay, Peter, what's going to happen to these false teachers? When this so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. So in verse 9 there, we find out that false teachers will face judgment. Okay, They will not get away with the destruction that they have introduced into the church and so forth. They will face judgment. And uh, it's interesting to note there too in verse 9, it says, uh, the unrighteous, you know, God holds them for the day of judgment, the unrighteous, while continuing their punishment. Do you see that there in verse 9? While continuing their punishment. Right now, God is doing something in the lives of those who are mishandling the Bible. God is already doing something. Okay, We're talking in the present tense here. They are being punished. I, I don't know what that looks like. We can probably all guess, but something is going on in these false teachers. Moving on to verse 12. But these men blasphemy in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. So Peter, what's going to happen to these false teachers? Well, they're going to be caught and they're going to be destroyed based on verse 12. They'll be caught and they'll be destroyed. And they will perish. They will perish. Moving on to verse 13. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Uh, payback is on its way. That's what the scripture says. For these who are false teachers who are communicating untruth, who are blaspheming God's word and his truth, payback is coming. Okay, That's what it says there in verse 13. They will be paid back. And then verse 17. These men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. That's what's coming for the false teacher. That is what's coming for the false teacher. So our question is this. Okay, Peter, how do you really feel about false teachers? And he's pretty passionate. He's very adamant about their character, what they are like, and what they do. And he's also very passionate about, okay, this is the end. This is what's going to happen to these false teachers who mishandle God's word. So that's what we've been taught and told this morning. Remember, Peter wants us to stimulate us to wholesome thinking, so he's laying it on the line. This is what's going to happen to those who poo-poo God's word. It's just not good, okay? He has no respect for them, and their destination, their final, is not going to be good either. Okay, that's what Peter tells us. Now, now we have an understanding of what's going on with these false teachers and what Peter thinks, as well as what God thinks. How about for us? What, what can we take away from 
this list of things that Peter has shared regarding the character of these false teachers and their destination. What, what kind of impact can those very verses have on us? Okay? Let me share four lessons with you, okay? Four lessons. Uh, lesson number one is this. Fear God, okay? Fear God. I, I have this, uh, oh, I don't want to, my soapbox, if you will, as a preacher, is uh, we do a good job of focusing on how gracious, how merciful, how loving God is. And that is so, so true. That does not change. But we elevate those wonderful qualities, I feel, to a degree, at the expense that one day God is going to bring the hammer down and he's going to engage in payback. Okay? So I say fear God. I, I think we as followers of Jesus Christ have to have a healthy respect for our God. He's going to love us. He's going to, you know, he wants the best for us. That is, that is so true. But he's also a God, since he loves us so much, that he will bring discipline into our lives. All right? He's going to correct what is wrong. He's going to allow us to experience, you know, uh, the negativity of, of the kind of fruit that we have sown or the seed that we have sown. You following me on this? Um, yes, he loves us. He's compassionate and stuff. But, man, if we're going to engage in some kind of behavior activity, thinking, well, God, he's so faithful, he's so loving, he's compassionate, it's not going to have any kind of effect. Wrong. There's going to be effect in our lives. So I just say, hey, we need to have a, a healthy fear. I mean, it looks like here when Peter talks about these false teachers, man, he, he pulled out the stopper, right? And he says, this is what's going to happen. So that's the same God that we're in relationship with. I'm not wanting you to scare you or anything like that. I just think we as followers of Jesus Christ, we just need to have a healthy perspective of our God, okay? He's going to love us and unpack, and probably he's going to even, to a, not to a fall, but he's, he's, we're just going to see his love. We're going to see his blessing. We're going to see his goodness. That is wonderful. Uh, and that's probably more so what we're going to see. But sometimes he just has to spank us. So know that. So have a healthy fear of God. Number two, lesson number two. The word of God is not to be trifled with. Okay, the word of God is not to be trifled with. The definition of trifle is this, a thing of little value or importance. If you trifle with something, you're saying that that has little value and is not important. That we cannot do with the word of God. That's what false teachers do, okay? They, uh, they trifle with the word of God. In fact, James chapter uh, 3, verse 1 says this, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that when you teach, you will be judged more strictly. All right? So that's just a kind of a, a heads up for us who are teaching. That's, that's me. Okay? When I'm done standing before the Lord, the Lord's going to say, Okay, Brian, you know that passage of Scripture there in Romans chapter 8? You kind of messed that up, you know, and he's going to hold me accountable, okay? So we can't trifle with God's word. That's why, that's why Peter, you know, that's why he's so passionate. That's why he really is adamant about who these false teachers are because they are trifling. They are 
they're making God's word of little value and not important, you know. Yeah, yeah, the God's word says that, but uh, this is what we're going to do. That's trifling, okay? That's what we're And that's where we're at here in our, in our world today. That's where we're at right now. God's word is trifled with, all right? There's just sinful behaviors out there, and we've been praying about it this morning, you know, about the abortion issue, you know. Uh, we, as a humanity, are, you know, are killing our, our own. Um, my. And, uh, but somebody will say, well, yeah, yeah, God wants you to be happy, you know. Uh, I think God would say, you know, I don't want you to be inconvenienced by having to raise this child. So I think God would understand. Hogwash, right? That's the word. It's a Greek word, hogwash. Not really, but okay, now we know where we're at. But uh, that's, what, that's what's going on. God's word is trifled with. It's not important. It's, uh, its value is minimized. We can't, so God doesn't like that. So that's our lesson. The word of God cannot be trifled with. Number three, lesson number three for us. False teachers' destiny is the destiny of all unbelievers. Okay? The destiny of false teachers is the destiny of all unbelievers. Um, Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 22 through 31. Uh, Let's take a look at it real quick. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, here's some key words that we've got to catch here, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, things don't go well for the rich man. So the rich man, he called to him. Hey, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you are a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. All right, so remember, the lesson is this. False teachers' destiny is the destiny of all unbelievers. And let me just, uh, what's the destiny of an unbeliever? One who says, you know, I don't need Jesus Christ or whatever. Well, verse 23 says they'll be in torment. Verse 24 says there's the agony of the fire, so it's hot there. Okay. Verse 25, again, reiterates the fact of agony. It's not going to be a picnic. You're not going to be in hell with your buddies having a party. That's not what it's going to be, what people tell you. 
It's agony. 26, there's a great chasm between uh, the places there. In other words, it's talking about the eternality of hell. Okay, you're in there, you're not getting out. Okay, that's what it says. And then 27 is a place, verse 27 is a place of torment. It's a place of torment. So the destiny of all unbelievers is the same as the destiny of false teachers. And again, this is not so much to scare you, uh, but that's the plight, okay? That's the plight of those we care about that don't know Jesus, okay? And so maybe the, the best effect of knowing that truth is, okay, I need to probably talk to some family members the best I can. I know it's not easy, but or I need to mention something to my friend or those I work with that I do care about, you know, you know they're, they're laughing it up and saying, yeah, I'm going to be with my friends in hell. We're going to have a big party. Ah, do you really know what hell's like? Well, let's talk, you know. So I, I would hope that, that that would become somewhat of an evangelistic prod, you know, to help us kind of move forward because it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And I go, thanks, Lord, that I'm not going there, right? Amen. Man, you bet. I remember being at a Bible camp, and uh, one of my buddies, we watched this movie. They, it wasn't so much about hell, but it was, uh, 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 how does that go? Uh, Thief in the Night. Did some of you guys probably remember the Thief in the Night? It's an old movie. I think it comes from Billy Graham, and it talks about the end times. So how some people were left, and some people were taken to heaven, and... Uh, I remember at Bible camp as a kid, that being very impactful. And my buddy, Dean Jordy, he was impacted by that movie. And uh, that night, uh, when we went back to our uh, dorm, that area where we were sleeping, he, he got, on his hands, got on his knees by his bunk, and he was praying. <laughs> and some kid walks in there, what are you doing? He says, it's, I'm praying. What does it look like? But all I want to tell you is, man, the fear, the fear that... Uh, he would be left behind, uh, compelled him to get things right with God, okay? Being left behind compelled him to get things right with God. And hopefully, more this morning as we read through Luke 16, you know, the, knowing that hell is torment, agony, you know, a great chasm exists, it's eternal, a place of torment. Hopefully that just motivates us to get things right with God if we need to, but also to maybe compel us Okay, you know, this, this is important. People's lives, you know, we're, we're talking about eternity. I need to just try and reach out. I need to try and reach out. So that's what false teachers' destiny and the destiny of all unbelievers. Number four, the only way of escaping hell is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. The only way of escaping hell is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. John 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Okay? So when we accept Jesus Christ, hell is not an option for us. Romans 8.1 says, and this is Joseph's favorite verse, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pretty awesome, huh? Condemnation, you know, torment. Condemnation, 
you know, that eternal darkness, condemnation, you know, agony, condemnation, fire. That stuff, hey, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So this morning, as we wrap it up, if, if, if this instills a little bit of concern and fear in you, that's good, okay? Because we can deal with that. And we deal with that by coming to Jesus Christ and saying, I need you. I don't want to end up in hell. We often refer to that as fire insurance, okay? And I don't think that's necessarily bad. I don't think that's necessarily bad. We don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. I guess if you do that just only for that, well, that's not good. But I think it's a good start. So let's get things right with Jesus Christ. You know, if you're wrestling with, where will I, will I be in heaven or will I be in hell? If, if that's your question, let's get that right, and I'll give you an opportunity to do that, okay? So the way of escaping hell is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus, wow, you got goodness. You got some good stuff coming your way. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who know him. So that's awesome. Let's wrap this up then. Let's pray. We know how Peter feels about false teachers. We know their destiny. But we're also given an opportunity to make sure our destiny is secure. So um, pray these words in the quietness of your heart. Let's deal with our destiny right at this time. You don't have to say them out loud, but if you're wrestling, if there's a little fear, if there's a little concern, a big question mark, let's clear it up at this time. Say these words after me in the quietness of your heart. Dear Jesus, hell does scare me, and I don't want to be there. I understand that I need a relationship with you. And so this morning, I commit my life to you. I put my trust and my faith in you, for you alone have done it all for me. You died, you were buried, you came back to life all for me. Lord, I'm trusting in your work this morning, erasing those doubts, those fears that I have. Come into my life, Jesus. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.